Hi and welcome to the Msingi Talks podcast, a podcast hosted by Msingi Trust. This podcast ventures deeper into issues of faith, advocacy, activism, and makes connections between these worlds. Psalms 89.14 states that justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne. And here we unpack how the church, as the body of Christ and institution, can faithfully embody justice and righteousness in both word and deed. Karibuni and let's do justice. everybody to another episode of Umsingi Talks podcast and I'm very fortunate and blessed and happy and joyous to have this next guest. Um, she is called Dot um, but then she'll tell us what her, her doting name means <laughs> and why she is called Dot. Because <laughs> I'm a daughter. <laughs> Yeah, so um, Karibu Sana Dot, say hi to the peeps. Hi to the peeps. <laughs> anyway, hi everyone. This is Dot. It's so exciting to be here. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a major fan of Msingi. So I'm really excited. Mm. How did you know Msingi? Hey, hey. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like one of those aunts, you know, like when you, when you go up country, and then you meet those people who tell you, I knew you when you were a baby. Do you remember me? And you're like, well, if the last time you saw me, I was two months old, then of course I can't remember you. So that's that's me and Msingi. I've known it from, from conception. Carol and I worked together in social justice. We've been in, I guess, <laughs> knee deep in the trenches together. <laughs> of justice work in the church we've had debates we've disagreed we've agreed to disagree <laughs> yes and we leave each other random voice notes when when we get a, a sudden spark of inspiration so that's how i know msingi <laughs> yeah and thank you dot dot was he's a believer of the work that we do and i think for many of us for people who are starting up and out we need people like dot in our lives so thank you for being a a voice of hope and encouragement to me so as we were thinking about what to talk about Mm -hmm. we have to tell the people how (laughs) 20 topics i'm telling you 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 should put justice people together so many topics it's like, or, or let's talk about this. No, let's talk about this. Let's talk about it. So, mm-hmm. so uh, needless to say, this is not the first time. This mm-hmm. is the first time, but not the last time that Dot will be on this podcast. <laughs> so much, so much we can talk uh, uh, together about. But mm-hmm. Dot, um, maybe you could start with another deeper introduction about who you are. Mm-hmm. And I want also for you to share with the people one thing that brings you joy. Something that brings you joy and then something that brings you sadness. Um, oh, yeah, we, we went straight in. <laughs> who, who asks who are you? Um, you know, I, I feel like I've, I've been through so many life changes. I'm, I'm, I'm still in the process of defining myself. But um, I guess in the context of this, I am dot. 
I am currently a PhD student in my final year, final months. I am studying <laughs> foster care. Doctor, Get ready doctor. to call me doctor. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh my gosh, dot. I really cannot wait. I'm so proud of you. Okay. <sighs> I can't wait either. So, sorry, this is a detour, and I'm hijacking <laughs> your introduction. It's your podcast. <laughs> This is how you know that these are friends talking on this podcast. Is mm-hmm. dot also like I remember your journey into this PhD as well. We started. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we started at the same time your journey into PhD and my journey into Msingi. Yeah. And to see that you actually, you actually did it. Look at you. You did it. Hey, hey. it's Jesus. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, that's, that's actually part of, I guess, what we're talking about today in terms of um, what is justice work. And, and I've really struggled in terms of having stepped from field work where I was directly working in foster care, where I was directly working with people and everything. And, and I feel like sometimes when life shifts the way we are engaging with something that we are passionate about, then we feel like we've lost our identity. And so it's taken me a long time to finally actually understand that what I'm doing, even when I'm studying, is still justice work because I am trying to ensure that there are systems that work for the oppressed, the vulnerable, for children in need. So um, that's who I am. In my heart and soul, I am someone who cares deeply about children, cares deeply about vulnerable people and, and wants to help when and how I can. Cool. So... That brings you joy. Helping brings you joy. What brings you sorrow? Um, well, actually, nature brings me joy. Let me just. <laughs> nature brings me joy, but also helping. I think helping brings me sorrow. Many, many, many nature walks. But thank you for the juice and the nature walks. <laughs> I feel like nature is one of the one of the only sort of like pure things in this world. Um, I love verses in the Bible that talk about nature declaring God's glory. Um, when, you, when you start working with people, no matter who they are, baby or whatever, there'll be friction, but there's, there's less friction with nature. You can't get this angry at the sun for shining. Like it is what it is. But people, people will, you'll help them and then they'll help you. Then <laughs> you'll be called a devil. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and forcing people to go into nature box of course of course if you if you think i love you and i haven't been in nature with you then i think you really need to evaluate. check yourself evaluate and note where you are in my friendship circles Uko, you're like at the bottom <laughs> what brings you sadness um what brings me sadness pain sorrow oppression um I think that the thing that that brings me the most sorrow is um, just how callously we've treated people's lives. And and I think the worst part, the one that I really struggle with is that um, right now, people are are also very obsessed with their own pain. and, And that stops them from being able to see other people's pain. So, for example, you, you might be a, b- a black person and, and the only pain that you seem to recognize is, is black pain. 
but when the news reports, maybe for example, a Muslim, Muslim genocide in Uyghur, um, it just slides over you because you think that those people's pain doesn't matter. And I think in the world, we've come to a place where we've, we've really learned to be okay with certain people's pains. Everyone has drawn a line and been like, okay, this type of pain is, is negligible in some sort of way, whether it's um, women's pain, whether it's another tribe's pain, another color's pain. And that to me, that to me causes even more sorrow because like, I can't remember who said it, but <laughs> injustice for one person is injustice for everyone. And I think we failed to see the, the connectedness of oppression because we seem to keep linking it to one thing. We want to link it to race. We want to link it to religion or the thing that affects us. And we forget that all these systems are interconnected and have, have stemmed up from just the loss of dignity of life. Um, if you don't value life, then you're always going to decide that someone's life isn't worth it. Yeah, that's my pain. Wow. Thank you, Dot, for sharing that. And mm -hmm. so uh, today our topic is uh, sort of, we want to define justice, like a justice one-one kind of thing, yeah. but not, not with um, heavy terms. Yeah, yeah. That we have this conversation so that we simplify mm -hmm. this very complex uh, conversation about justice. Because you know what yeah. we would have done? We could have easily looked at a dictionary, we could have looked at the library mm -hmm. and said, this is justice. Yeah. But uh, because we want to, to find out like what is justice, how do we do justice, mm -hmm. who does justice, and why and how do we do justice? Mm -hmm. I, I think you're the best person to have this conversation with because <laughs> most of the times <laughs> we find we find that the people to talk about justice are maybe the people who are daily protesting or daily like mm -hmm. something, you know, and not mm -hmm. someone like you who has worked in foster care, but I would first, before you define just, maybe as you're defining justice, mm -hmm. you can share a bit about what, what brought you to where you are in terms of your career and how, how when would you say the spark for justice was lit in your heart? Wow, wow. Um, let's see, what brought me to justice? I, I genuinely don't know. I think it's been a, a slow, it's been a very slow, um, just little droplets of, of information and passion being built over time. My earliest memory of justice is just that when, and it's, it's odd, by the way, my, my, my family keep telling me this, but I, I just, somehow I was born with a very innate sense of justice. And I think I link it to being a middle-born child. Um, I'm the type of person that, that expects, um, that obeys rules and expects rules to, to matter to everyone. So um, for the Kenyans, as a child, I was called Ambenye. <laughs> but basically, I really, I really have always um, loved the order of nature. But even beyond that, 
my, my, the first evocation of a sense of justice for me was probably when um, seeing bullying happening in school. And there was just, there's just a, something about an unfairness of someone randomly deciding that, that they can pick on someone else for whatever reason. Um, in some cases, I was bullied as a child, but also in other cases, um, in law primary, I was bullied, but eventually I learned to stand up for myself. No, 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 I wasn't a bully, but I learned to, I learned to stand up to the bullies and, and, you know, exchange words or in certain cases, uh, you know, literally physically defend myself um, because my mother in all of her love um, and as, as any other parent who's trying to deal with bullying would do um, her responses were never enough she's just like they're jealous tell you love your bully no she told me they're jealous of me that's why they're picking on me at other times she told me the whole sticks and stones thing and it seemed inadequate for me I needed something to be able to actually face the bullies um, but then so that was primary school um, when I was 12 I started teaching and for those who don't know the Kenyan context um, the middle class and slums always um, what's it called they're always next to each other they need by each other because yeah, they're always the slums offer labor cheap labor to the middle class yes yeah yeah so my church was right on the border of one of 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 um, a middle class and Mukuru um, Kwajenga um, slum, and so we used to have kids in Sunday school, and I was teaching Sunday school, um, and and I remember there were these kids that were um, just you know normal middle class family kids, nice, beautiful, everything, um, and then we had these other kids that would come from quite a distance, and by the, I was teaching two to five year olds. And they didn't come with anyone. Those kids used to come to Sunday school on their own. And I mean, they smelled. Let me just put it out there. They smelled. And that was my first, the first time that I had to question my own prejudice because mm -hmm. I found myself um, being reluctant to give the same cuddly love, for example, to, to the kids from the slums of this. And I found myself having to actually have a conversation myself and and bring myself to the point of asking why why am I why am I treating these children differently and and eventually I learned to embrace them I learned to um, get to know them get to know what their journey was and everything so so in a sense that's also my first step into understanding um, myself the society I was in and and the fact that I was I guess I guess we'd call it privilege right now to understanding my privilege and understanding how I could either participate in um, perpetrating just um, I wouldn't say violence but just difference and indifference to people who are different from me. So that's that's the earliest. From then on, I went to university, did an internship with an organization called International Justice Mission. And they have one of the clearest understandings of the biblical mandate of justice I have ever been with. Um, because I, I would work in, the, you know, like I said, the church worked in the slums and stuff. And I think one of the things that was missing, the missing component from the justice work they did was excellence. Um, there's something about Christians sometimes that we, we go into a space and we just want to be flambeau and... 
yeah, spirit led. And I hadn't seen, I had never seen structure. I had never seen um, a strong compassion. I had never seen compassion and justice work together. It hadn't been explained to me that those two could be held within that love and justice are two sides of the same coin. And yeah. so, and so prosecuting, for example, prosecuting wrongdoing is still part of the act of justice and love and that you can hold both at the same time. I'd never seen that. I'd never heard it explained. Definitely not in the Christian context where sometimes persecution of injustice is viewed as wrong because of verses that talk about turning, um, turning the other cheek of, of lessons of forgiveness. But when you read through the Bible, you, you start to understand that God forgives and still punishes. God forgave Moses, but still punished him and he never went into the promised land. You know, you could still hold both in one hand. Yeah, so that, that, was, my, that was my entry into all of this. And um, from then on, I've been a proponent for justice and worked somehow in these spaces. So um, could, you, could you share a Bible verse mm -hmm. uh, on justice or a chapter on justice that... Mm -hmm. um, Carry, carries you in your work and I don't think you've defined justice yet as well <laughs> it's so hard to define I think um, the simplest way of defining justice is doing what is right mm. because the I've, I've been learning that the the way that the English Bible translates some of the Hebrew words they turn verbs, they, 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 they don't quite get how the verbs work. So we might say something like, because one of my, 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 the verses that I love most and, you know, it's tattooed on me is seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. It's one of those, it's one of those times in the Bible where you just get a summary because it just says, I have shown you, oh man, what is right. Seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. And we, we write it as seek justice, some, some will write it as do justice, but others write it as act justly. Um, but at the very stem of it, it is, it is doing what is right. And that will never be defined by anyone except God. So anything that is outside of the will of God and outside of what God prescribes in terms of how we relate, especially with others, is an act of injustice. Because there is... God's way is the only way that profits everyone. Mm. Any other decision that any person makes will always be skewed towards profiting themselves and mm. often at the cost of another person. Mm. You know, like for example, um, with wages, you know, you might be making a profit and that means someone somewhere down the line, the employee line is not benefiting as much or you're or you're you're overcharging the customers so there's always there's always something at the other end of a selfish decision and man's ways are always selfish so i think that's my definition of it of justice i saw i saw today um i don't know i saw i i saw i'm trying to remember where and what uh where the exact figures but it was about 
I saw it. Did you share it? Did we? Did we? <laughs> where? Where? I yeah. Saw it. What it was said, that? So it said that. Um, I guess. I don't know if it was poor people or 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 the the world had had generally lost about 3.7 billion last year and i'm guessing this is in the us yes but billionaires made 3.9 million last year yes and yes. it was the biggest exchange of of um revenue yes and no one is talking about it i mm -hmm. think i shared, i saw it and shared it or mm -hmm. i <laughs> but what you're saying about it, that it's always at the expense of someone rings very true mm -hmm. that um we we in even at our very best nature and i think that's a thing we need to to do to learn even for us who do justice work is that at our core mm -hmm. we're selfish people yeah yeah and at our core we are people and it's only but by the grace of god mm -hmm. and it's a continuous learning of and of laying yourself of emptying yourself mm -hmm. Self, self is such a big impediment to the work that we do. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Mm -hmm. <sighs> yeah. So as as we are talking, uh, I liked your in our in our conversation earlier. You said that there that you'd realize that there are two types of justices. There's injustices that there is personal injustice and systemic injustice. Mm -hmm. How would you define or differentiate the two? So personal justice is basically you and your choices deciding to do right or wrong. Um, think about it. Um, if we were to talk about a circle, it's with it's you and, and the people that you can directly touch and impact. Um, for example, if you um, make a decision that harms um, your cover, your niece, she's right she's right there with you it is a direct act of injustice and christians tend to really dwell on personal justice they tend to write on they tend to dwell on what is my you know where is my heart check your heart um and my actions and so if my actions and I, and, I, and i think this is a global thing and you'll notice it when it comes to dealing with racism because people will be like well i'm not racist and and then it stops you from even having the conversation of the fact that you're participating in an entire society that has been built on values that are always based on oppressing someone. Every society has someone at the bottom, every single society. So personal justice is me and my personal impact on the world and the decisions I make and how they affect other people. Systemic injustice is basically the structures within which um, is, is, I think in, in some ways is the culmination of decisions and choices of the individuals and what they have decided um, works and doesn't work in the society. So for example, um, it's really hard to just label systemic injustice, but we do have a society in which in just some injustices happen a lot easier. For example, when we talk about violence against women, it's a systemic problem because the culture, including those who are being oppressed, have participated in perpetuating the values, the beliefs, you know, it, it goes into everything. It's your values, it's your beliefs, it's your actions, it's your inaction. Um, 
which is why, for example, um, I'm, I'm in a very liturgical church and we do the confession and we talk about God, forgive me for what I have done and what I have failed to do. Systemic injustice really, really steps into that place of inaction. And when I look at it, I feel like the Bible really helped define it because the Bible had structures for dealing with personal injustice and systemic injustice. So everyone loves the story of Ruth and Boaz, right? What they don't notice is that Boaz, that, that, that book of the Bible is one of the stories in which what happens when individuals take part in systemic justice works. So when in the book of Leviticus, one of the things that God told the Israelites to do is that when they are tilling their fields, they leave an edge of the field for the widows, the orphans, and the alien amongst them to be able to cultivate. They were to deliberately leave something off for the people who are vulnerable. Because if you are a widow, an alien, an orphan, you likely didn't have land that you are tilling of your own. So this was basically, for example, in modern day, maybe something like a tithe. They actually had a way in which that they could create jobs create a livelihood for the widow and the orphan. And that's how Naomi and Ruth ended up making a living. So Boaz enacts all these laws and guidelines recommended by God for correcting systemic injustice in the society, which is how you see restoration happening. And so I feel like the Bible tends to give that example of, of how both happen. Uh, thank you. Uh, these are these are statements you've said as you were explaining mm -hmm. about how even the oppressed participate in their own injustice. Mm -hmm. I, I disagree with that statement. Okay. <laughs> because I they are part of it, but they are not actively participating in it. I don't know. Like I don't think I. I, as a woman, will actively participate or knowingly participate in my oppression by the men in my life. Well, um, I get it. Yes and no. For example, women, um, female genital mutilation. It's, it's a system um, very tied to the patriarchy and tied to controlling women's bodies and everything. But if you notice, it's the women that enact female mm -hmm. genital mutilation but they do it for the men they do it for the men i'm not yeah but they are participating at the end of it at the end of it because of the way the society and structure is is put is that we are all doing because even those women who are doing the cut mm -hmm. are victims of the so it's no for sure yes it's a perpetuated um injustice and so yeah. you're using even the oppressed as enforcers of a mm -hmm. bigger oppression no for sure for sure but just that's why i say perpetuating rather than being the originators for example or the key the key the the, the oppressed will, will participate in some way and there's so many reasons to it like you've said um they've they've they might feel like they don't have an option. They've probably bought into the belief system. They've bought into, um, sometimes they might have a victim mentality and a helplessness 
a learned helplessness. So they don't want to fight the culture as it is, but they do end up participating. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they are victims and they are helpless. Yes. They are victims and they are helpless. Because I... Well, I wouldn't <laughs> say they're helpless. Not 100% helpless. 100% helpless. Yeah. I remember seeing a doc On the news, Juicy, there was a, an account where now people who are against female genital mutilation are showing videos of how female genital mutilation happens to men. Mm-hmm. And when they the men are shown, yeah, like okay, guys, I'm done. We are not doing this. Yeah, which I found to be very interesting in the fight against any injustice because yeah. you're doing it. Mm-hmm. The people whom you think you're doing it for, once mm-hmm. they see what it is actually done, yeah, like this is yeah. wrong. This yeah, is- there's something about bringing to light injustice that forces the hand of certain people who are participating by omission. For example, part of the reason why the George Floyd thing went viral, why there were protests across the world is because it was taped. These occurrences have happened all the time, but by the fact that so many people across the group literally watched a person kneel on a person's head and die, it sort of forces your hand into actually finally making a decision of, wow, this is either right or wrong. You, you simply have to get to the space where you have to face the oppression and decide if you're okay with it or not. And then, and then you have to come to terms with why you're explaining it the way you're explaining yeah. it to yeah. yourself. Yeah, yeah. Like I am saying right that he was on the wrong. Mm-hmm. I have to deal with my biases, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and <sighs> man. It's messy. <laughs> it's so messy. It's so messy. It's so painful. I think for me, when I'm doing justice work, dot mm-hmm. the frustration of explaining why, why mm-hmm. we do it. Mm-hmm. Like, why do you care? Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and I, I one of the things is because my faith. I am not a faith person if I don't care about justice. Mm. You know. Mm. And I am not a ju- and also now on the other side is that as a justice person on the ground, my faith moves me and drives me. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanna ask you, what does justice have to do with faith? And what does faith have to do with justice? Everything. Everything. Faith faith and justice go hand in hand. Faith. Um justice i like i said justice is an act of love it is you you cannot watch you cannot claim to love a person and be okay with their injustice and be okay with seeing their injustice so faith has everything to do with justice as well because it also gives us the tools with which to understand injustice and the means with which to address injustice. There, there's so many tools that, um, I don't want to say 100% unique to Christianity, but Christianity has a way of really addressing injustice in so many different ways. We, we have the power of lamenting, which I've been learning very recently. Um, 
and just how powerful it is to be able to lay these things before God, because the risk that you take, um, and I don't know if you face this, but I know I've found that the more you work in justice work, the more self-righteous you become. Yep. You you end up being like the Pharisee in Jesus's parable that stands there and says, God, thank goodness, I'm not like that tax collector. Because basically the tax collector is that corrupt government official that we all know and dislike, uh, you know, fellow Kenyans. You can stand here and say, thank you, Lord, I'm not a fellow Kenyan. Oh, but, my <laughs> But if you don't have an understanding of the you fact that judged. I, feel, I feel like you're judging me at this very moment. I feel like you have judged me, but it's okay. <laughs> wow. Like, I actually have literally <laughs> a visceral bodily reaction to that term. Receive your rebuke. <laughs> have received it for those for those who don't understand what we are saying um every time uh our presidents not <laughs> presidents <laughs> that's a COVID-19 uh update that will mess our lives that has absolutely no systemic or social protection for the poor that <laughs> Absolutely, that does not talk about people who stole money from for for meant for COVID. That's this conversation. That's the brief with fellow Kenyans, and you're like, no, guy, we are not your fellow Kenyans. <laughs> End of rant. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah, but that's it. That's it, Carol. Justice, justice work um, outside of the confines of Christianity will have you swallowing pride and becoming self-righteous. And yet the Bible says there is no one righteous, not even one. So, and that connects back to the verse that I talk about in terms of seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Yeah, yeah their, their faith, faith and the Christian faith links justice, love, mercy, compassion and humility together. And that is a powerful tool because the other, the other extreme that we get into, apart from self-righteousness and justice work, is savior complex, savior mentality. Mm. Um, <laughs> Carol, Carol likes to hate on the white savior mentality, but but we also have black savior mentality. Everyone, everyone has some sort of savior mentality, and I think what it then creates is situations of burnout. Yeah. where you think you have to somehow you're somehow responsible for addressing every single injustice that you face and the fact is that you know that that's God's burden to bear and that's Jesus's burden to bear and so when you when you're working in justice and you have this sense of faith and 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 you're grounded in Christian values then you have the ability to hold hold your space um, stand up for the oppressed but also allow God to work and 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 um, leave it at his feet in some cases. So you you're you're able to stand up when need be and to and to sleep at night also. Misingi is a Swahili word meaning foundation. Our name and mandate comes from Psalms 89:14. We host engaging conversations on faith, social justice, and advocacy across all our social media platforms. We also offer training and consultancy services 
to help you navigate the world of social justice and faith. To engage with us, visit our website www.msingitrust.org, follow us on all our social media handles at msingitrust or email us on info at msingitrust.org. Does the Kenyan church understand this? Like I want us to contextualize this conversation to the Kenyan church. Mm-hmm. Because we, apparently we are 83% Christian in this country. <laughs> uh, <laughs> statistics say. Statistics say, <laughs> at last count, 83.3%. Mm-hmm. Um, we have... Even where Dot used to be my neighbor until she decided to to get married with me <laughs> and go and get her PhD. But even where we we used to leave Dot, mm-hmm. when you woke up, you were greeted by about five churches on Sunday morning and on yeah. on Friday evening. Yeah. Do our churches understand justice? And even we used to work at uh, at a church in the social justice department. Did we do justice? Did we do charity? That's the thing. Our churches, at best, at best, understand benevolence. That's their that's their best understanding. Um, the church struggles um, with. Yeah, I, I don't even know how to explain it, but the, the, the Kenyan church, the Kenyan church struggles with, um, I, I don't even want to call it leaning too much on grace because that is a misunderstanding of grace in and of itself. But they, 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 they prefer neutrality, passivity, um, messages of forgiveness. And, and I struggle to understand what forgiveness has to do with corruption, what forgiveness has to do with rape, incest, um, sexual abuse. Um, I think the church really struggles to teach. Um, No, not even that. Here's the irony, right? The Kenyan church is very good at teaching um, doom and judgment. Love it. We're one of the few churches, you know, on this side, on this side of the pond, um, they don't, they don't really talk about judgment and eternity and hellfire and all those things. The Kenyan church is very good at talking about, at labeling sins. That's the, that's the confounding thing. We can have conversation about sins. We can have conversations about judgment and about eternity, but we have no idea how to step into these places and actually... (laughs) discuss justice mm. it, it confounds me it genuinely confounds me suddenly forgiveness checks in and it's the same pastor who was very bold about about judgment but but i'm trying to understand what what is it like is it is it a theological institution failure is it just patriotism is it romance 13 do not uh that government is put there by God, is it? Mm-hmm. Um, oh my God. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is it? <laughs> so, I remember, mm-hmm. you remember when there was the doctor's strike? Do you remember this story? When there was the yeah. doctor's strike 
I don't know if you'd left um, uh, Nairobi or not. I remember the strike. You remember the doctor's strike. And then I went to have a conversation with one of my pastors. Mm -hmm. And the pastor said, and I can actually remember where I was standing because my pastor told me, the church cannot be seen to be taking sides against the government. Mm-hmm. But then again, who who attends that church? Is yep. it or is it not fellow Kenyans right hand man? Yep. So if the government attends the church. Yeah. Yeah. So don't tell us. What do we do? How do we how do we stop? Because then yeah. um because I've decided that because Msingi comes from the from Psalms 89, 14, that justice mm-hmm. and righteousness is the foundation of God's throne. Mm-hmm. So because you all have decided you you will run the race with righteousness. Let me run just <laughs> in the middle. Somewhere, so, somehow both will be done. <laughs> somehow both will be done. Yes. But then you see a lot of people condemning the work that justice people are doing because mm-hmm. it's not christian enough mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i still want us to come back to conversations about our local church pastors yeah. how do we how do we bring the justice message to the local ah oh, that's hard and yeah. also because they they experience injustice yeah Yes, they, the the connection to both is that they actually have a voice. That the Bible is against injustice. That they mm-hmm. are community mm-hmm. leaders and they can push for mm-hmm. change. How mm-hmm. do we connect those dots? Hmm. So I think connect the dots for us. Connect the dots. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Let me just solve injustice issues in the Kenyan church within two sentences. On it. (laughs) Uh, I think, I think the first step towards addressing any form of injustice is compassion and empathy. If you do not feel, you cannot act. If you, and I think we have learned to not recognize injustice. We have learned to close our hearts to injustice. We have learned to be disconnected from injustice. Um, if If your pastor isn't weeping with his people, he will not be moved to make any steps. If your if your people are, and this is the hard part because honestly life is hard. Everyone has their own personal pain, but we are called to bear one another's burdens. Um, so I think the first step is, is teaching empathy and compassion. If you, if you learn to recognize someone's pain, if you know where their shoe hurts, then, then I think you'll be more likely to want to do something about it. And, and I think part of the reason why we've, we've the, the church in some ways may have um, stepped away from justice issues, um, and this is this is this is me giving best case scenario. This is <laughs> this is me playing like 
<laughs> giving everyone the benefit of the doubt. But mm -hmm. some of the reasons I can think of why people just shrink away from justice work is one, it feels overwhelming. What do I even do? Where do I even start? Um, two, it is separating justice from all other matters of life. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if justice becomes a topic that then you talk about um, one Sunday out of the 52 Sundays of the year, and it's not incorporated into the whole ethic of what it means to be a Christian, then you're gonna struggle um, you're going to struggle to find a way to answer all of these big life's questions there. But, but also, Dot, why are you so deep? <laughs> <laughs> it's basic, but it, it feels, yeah. Because, yes, because we look at it, you're like, justice now belongs to Kinakaro, Kina, mm -hmm. Kina like mm -hmm. those people are the ones who do justice, let them mm -hmm. do that work. Mm -hmm. Yet it is core to who we are it's core and mm -hmm. also can i add now i'm answering the question i asked you because Come on. <laughs> that's how we do it <laughs> because then if as churches we were to confront justice work we'd have to deal with injustices in our spaces also we, yeah yeah, yeah because some majority of our churches are very unjust in the way they treat their employees in the way mm -hmm. they in how they've acquired land in how they've been complicit mm -hmm. with um mm -hmm. government against its people mm -hmm. with so many other things and so mm -hmm. maintain maintain shallop as my mm -hmm. friend mm -hmm. you maintain silence yeah because that mirror when you look at that mirror and see what you you see yourself, you see yeah. the that you're also perpetuating. Yeah. Churches are actually perpetuating injustice. I know there's friends of mine from Githurai Social Justice Center who are who are struggling with a church that has stolen a nursery school, like the field from a nursery school. And they're using the same kind of violence that common land grabbers use. Yeah. So how, how do we separate ourselves like that? exactly and and it's not even just the church it's the congregants um somewhere somewhere in the congregants homes um someone someone in someone sitting in that congregation has has stolen the inheritance from his sister another one another one is using their orphaned niece as a house help yes and mistreating them the others are are abusing their households the other ones are receiving bribes at work because apparently it's the only way to make money in this in this place. Um, injustice is the very biggest discomfort that everyone will have to face. So, and it's it's like you said, how can the how can the preacher preach it if he too is is a perpetrator of injustice? So you stick to the safe topics of of sin and judgment, and. Um, and self-actualization and sex and sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah but not not all types of sex we won't we won't talk about rape we won't talk about incest we won't talk about um sexual harassment in the church let's not go there we'll just stick to the nice simple things where we're telling our teenagers to close out their legs that's and also, uh, <laughs> and also when the when when the woman gets pregnant then it's there's an announcement 
yeah and it's only the woman who's placed at the front mm. it's so, a tell as old as time i mean jesus was brought for one woman who was caught in the act what yeah. was she was she was she pleasing herself like what did they have vibrators back in the day how did they catch her in the act <laughs> but apparently since time immemorial women have been having sex alone and committing um all these acts in making themselves pregnant and impregnating themselves <laughs> oh my friend <laughs> <sighs> man so yeah. now i want us to you to talk a bit as we're winding up about your thesis and why you're doing it and what it's about mm-hmm. and also just a bit about fostering in the work that you did like you're writing a whole thesis on it and here i am telling you it in two minutes sorry <laughs> why 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 are you doing fostering work and research into fostering care what brought you to that and yeah oh um what brought me into it is um by mistake <laughs> let me tell you guys about how i found out i was gonna be running for, i was entering into foster care so i was into issues of injustice you know did my masters um my focus was on child trafficking children's problems while we were working with carol i was working with um literacy projects in schools in the social justice department and then one day i'm walking towards the sunday school and i ran into the senior pastor and he's like oh don't um have they told you about safe families i'm like huh what's that and he was like oh okay they'll tell you and then he giggled and then walked away and that's <laughs> I can like i can see i can see that dramatization it was maybe because you know the space it was it was behind the big church in between just before the steps like there and i was just like what and my life changed forever um i for some reason have always wanted to adopt since i was a kid i tell myself it's because of um the musical annie um because i loved it <laughs> when i was younger but um i've since grown an understanding that some of the most vulnerable people in this world are children um the most unfortunate statistic and and fact is that whenever anything happens any sort of economic issue um global issue the children are the first to suffer so for example right now with covid they might not be the key um ones who are getting sick from it but they're the ones who are now currently stuck in systems of abuse um mm-hmm. they're the ones who are more likely to be who, who are more likely to be harmed and so children are just extremely vulnerable but they're also extremely resilient and fostering is a family based way of taking care of children it's 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 a system in which that is so key to to our entire faith because when you think about it jesus was fostered um moses was fostered there's something about taking someone into your home caring for them and loving for them you know the 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 bible tells us that we are adopted into sonship with jesus christ so the understanding of loving the other the one that you technically don't have to love in terms of they are not of your own flesh and blood but that taking them into your home and loving them and caring for them and that simple act can change their entire lives 
here here in the UK, foster children are the ones who are more likely to be, um, you know, addicted to drugs. They're there are a higher percentage of the homeless, higher percentage of the ones who are more likely to, found, to be found within crimes and in prison. Um, they have some of the lowest statistics in terms of healthy outcomes as adults. And I want to get the right people doing foster care. I want to get people who care about children, people who are trained to do it. And that's where my thesis, my thesis is all about. It's about getting the right people into the fostering system, the type of people that will love these children as their own and love them in spite of all their flaws. Um, because all of these flaws are, are generally as a result of the hardship that they've had to face. And I think it's such a beautiful picture of how God treats us. He, he comes in and we've made a mess of ourselves and our lives or people have made a mess of us and he takes us into his family. He loves us. He nurtures us into such a healthy and whole version of ourselves that we would never, ever have imagined. Um, and that's just as a result of consistent care and love. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. So how, what were the lessons when you were doing the Safe Families in Kenya? On mm -hmm. What lessons? would you say you got from it and mm -hmm. then how different is fostering in Kenya from fostering in the UK um my biggest lesson funnily enough is tied to <laughs> what I said about um about justice work my biggest lesson is that honestly I think and this is a retrospective learning mm -hmm. I think I I failed to be empathetic I was so passionate about the children and yeah. so so I cared so much about them and I, and I saw so many situations of hurt that I know that there's, there's, there's one, there's two moms that I could have been a bit more gentler with mm. in terms of, um, I think I had a sense of self-righteousness when I was approaching this mm. and they, they were negligent and yeah. their, their actions were putting their children in danger and hurting them. But I think there could have been a lot more compassion for them. And that if I had channeled that, that that would have been a better way to help them take the necessary steps. Um, eventually, one of them had a really great outcome. And I think that's, that was actually as a result of God teaching me to step back and allow him to work on her heart. Um, but another one was just such an aggressive um, relationship and I don't I don't know that I would have changed the outcome of that placement at all if 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 I had changed completely because also the person was quite dodgy but you cannot do justice work from a place of without without empathy you can't the self-righteousness stops the people you're trying to help from believing you and from participating in it and you can't force justice on people you can't help people who don't want to be helped. And, and if you think about the way God helps us, he, he says, hi, Carol, I see you. I love you as you are, but there's a better version of you out there and I want you to get you there. Mm. And then he helps you take those steps. He doesn't say, hey, sinner Carol, <laughs> repent and change or I'll put you in jail. <laughs> well, technically in a way he does, but also, you know, there's a sense of both 
impending judgment, but yeah. also there's a there's an overwhelming sense of love from which and compassion and care that is the one that nurtures us through um, sanctification. Um, so I think that was my biggest lesson to to not be self righteous in the act of justice, even when it comes to foster care. Yeah. 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 So that's a key lesson man it's it's a lesson i think for all of us in this work we need to as you wake up as you pray in one hand and a reminder that a i'm not god and that mm -hmm. my self-righteousness is, is like filthy rags before god you know mm -hmm. and that just keeps you humble it's very important to be humbled especially when you're you're sort of in the limelight yeah of sorting out issues and sorting out people yeah and it's so hard can you i still struggle with the fact that god loves the perpetrator as much as he loves the victim can't cannot cannot fathom it cannot yeah. Yeah. but it's a fact that we we somehow <laughs> the times where you're like can i teach god something i love like why are you wasting your love on these people uh -uh. <laughs> double that love to you know person x add that person mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so the difference of fostering in kenya um hmm. fostering in kenya is <laughs> it's a good theory oh. <laughs> it's such a good theory Technically, it should work. I'm telling you, technically, fostering should be a breeze in Kenya because we have grown up in systems in which um, I think our homes are not as precious as the Western home. You know, the Western home, by the time someone even invites you for a cup of coffee, you could have been friends for years and you mm -hmm. don't step into their homes. Their homes are private, precious sanctuaries. Yeah. The Kenyan home is warm and welcoming. But there's something about our culture, and 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 this is this is where we we I, I really that's why I say it's good in theory because technically we have fostered, and when you look in non-rural areas, fostering occurs very naturally. People take in their children. My I have an aunt and uncle I didn't even know I wasn't biologically related to because mm -hmm. my grandma took two of her friends. Her friends died, and she took two of their kids in. Yeah. And and you just grow up with them. You just, of course, that's auntie so and so and uncle so and so. So, outside of outside of the urban areas, fostering is still happening in some ways. Or sh I should I should pr probably call it kinship care. But in in sometimes some cases it's it's fostering because you might take your neighbor's kids in when they're sick. But there's a preciousness around bloodlines that comes with the African culture that is completely horrendous. Mm -hmm. And and so that's why you'll find step parents abusing the children that are not of their own flesh and blood. There's a sense in which I I love my my blood, but I can't bring, you know, and, and there'll be such vulgar way of saying it, like I can't bring, you know, the 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 vifaranga from another <laughs> the chick the chick are they call chicks yeah the chicks from another rooster into my own home there's so it rather than a preciousness of our own homes we have a preciousness for our own 
family system and we're yeah. not willing to take others in we just there's that, a boundary man that makes a lot of sense man and i think also it adds to why adoption which uh is is a problem mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. don't know who blood this is yeah yeah and yeah what they come with yeah and there's some there's so much mysticism around blood i don't know what people believe you know like in the nature versus nature theory i think kenyans really 100% believe in nature they don't believe that nature has anything to do with how someone turns out the theories that will come up about they might decide to kill you in your sleep they might turn out you know can there's a belief of things like bad eggs that once bad eggs yeah like a child can be a bad egg that's i'm like shocked bad eggs is that a real theory it is wow. it is you know like it's just <laughs> daughter of us you know like what like the daughter of a snake is always a snake so if you don't even know where this child came from you don't know if they're a snake a kangaroo a, a rabbit you don't know what's in their nature and so you're risking okay so i think it seems that we are going to have another <laughs> <laughs> Look, we can talk about adoption, man. Adoption. Uh, and the Kenyan system and the world and everywhere. Mm. But I think as, uh, do you have anything that you wanted to share that you've not shared or mm-hmm. cutting short words of wisdom? <laughs> I'm marking your wisdom, you better deliver. <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it. Um, I, I am such a proponent for making knowledge accessible, which is why I, I kind of insisted with Carol. I was like, let's do 101 because um, Carol has studied, Carol has done justice and studied justice. And she uses words that, that even me, I don't understand. <laughs> she has names. She has names for theories <laughs> and systems. <laughs> Whereas I, by the end, you know, there's such a struggle in my PhD life because I am such a practical in terms of applicability. So in the, in the spirit of being myself and making knowledge accessible, I think my parting wisdom would be um, you who is listening, you're called to justice. You're called to live a life of justice and you're also called to address injustice around you. And one of the biggest mistakes that you'll ever make is letting the principle of a matter be more important than the person. Mm, yeah. so you can, I've met so many people who will be like, I don't give to homeless people because the government should be taking care because these systems, because I watched Jicho Pevu and they said that these people, but you know what? At the end of the day, the person standing in front of you needs something to eat. Jesus, Jesus, when he was talking, he said, um, when I was hungry, you gave me to eat. When I was um, lonely, you welcomed me. And when I was, what was the other one? Thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. The Samaritan man dressed um, a stranger's wounds and took care of him. And so God has called you to impact what you can impact. Um, keyboard warriors are fantastic it's good you know I feel like there's it's good to it's good to be participating in the big conversations 
but your first step to justice really has to be towards impacting someone. Can you literally pinpoint one person whom you loved outside of your circles? Can you say, I, I heard this person was in need and I responded with love, um, not with a lecture, not with a philosophical debate, but with, with love and I attended to their very direct needs in front of them. And the fact of the matter is when you get to heaven, God won't say, Carol, you wasted so much money giving to <laughs> all those people. He'll say, Carol, your heart was in the right place. Honestly, your heart was in the right place. And, and God gives us discernment. I mean, one of the things that stops us from this is, is, is like, I feel like sometimes we are so, we are paralyzed with fear of not being able to do the right thing. We're paralyzed with, with anxiety of, of being a good steward of God's money. But God, God will show you. I mean, there's been, there's been times where God has called me to, there's, a, there's this homeless lady I used to pass literally every day from school. And no, on Fridays. And, and God stol slowly told me to just start having conversations with her, um, buy her dinner and sit with her. Um, the Holy Spirit is so wonderful at telling you what to do. And it, what's funny is there'd be other homeless people that I wasn't prompted to, to, to do the same for. You, you know, it doesn't have to be a principle for where every single person, every single need is, is me who has to meet it because God is sovereign over all these things. But you, you can act and, and the Holy Spirit will guide you. And honestly, if you, if you don't blink, spending a hundred bob on, I don't know, on Nyamachoma or, or Motura, <laughs> you know. <laughs> what, what Nyamachoma is this for a hundred bob? <laughs> motura, Motura. You know, that's the thing. If you won't blink spending money on Motura, maybe even just buy Motura and actually give it to someone. You know, you don't have to give money. You don't, I wish we would stop up, we would not let our principles stop us from loving and caring for the person. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, that, thank you. Thank you for your wisdom, Dot, and thank you for, for being a loving person. I think Dot, uh, let me say it on record so that again, <laughs> It will come back to haunt me one day, but it's fine. I'm ready to be haunted. You you carry compassion so well. You really are a compassionate being, and you do you do it with excellence. You serve people with excellence as well. And I am honored to call you my sister and my friend. So all the best with your PhD work Thank and you. all those many um, other amazing things coming this year. <laughs> appreciate you so much oh man i love you love what you do um for those of you who are listening good job <laughs> if you've been inspired challenged and or enjoyed this conversation and would like to contribute to this and catch up with more of such remember to follow us on social media at Musindi trust share this podcast with your friends and family and also consider making a donation to support the production of this podcast. Donations can be made through PayPal, msingikenya at gmail.com, 
Patreon at Msingi Kenya or through M-Pesa plus 254-792-17603. Kwa herini and thank you for joining us.